Broadcasters usually bring in the tapestry of a game. They're the ones that connect you to the team of which you love. And while they may come and go, they don't always forget about where they've come from. And one in particular that has never forgotten where he has come from is Alan Furing. He was here a few years ago, two broadcasters ago, if you want to put it that way. And he joins me here. Let's go down the rabbit hole with Alan Furing. Pleased to welcome into the broadcast, Alan Furing, the former voice of the Swamp Rabbits and now the voice of the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, uh, though the question I have for you first is where do you put the emphasis? <laughs> um, is it the Sound Tigers you, you or the go, Sound Tigers? You go Sound Tigers and it's all one word. It's not the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, it's the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. So you put the emphasis on the Tigers, but uh, I have to kind of re- reiterate to everybody that the Sound Tigers go together. Okay. So the only wrong way to say it is Bridgeport Sound Tigers. Correct, yeah. Okay. It's the Sound Tigers, not just the Tigers. Okay. Understood. Yeah, that There's is a funny a... story behind that, which actually not a lot of people realize that the Long Island Sound is the body of water in between the mainland here in Long Island and then tigers it comes from uh bridgeport connecticut's actually the origin of the uh, barnum and bailey circus and uh, everything kind of stemmed from this area and uh so that's where the tigers comes from so it's kind of a combination of the body of water and then the circus well there's there's a good segue here because during your time it was the transition from the road warriors to the swamp rabbits now, I want to know what role either you had in it in particular or more than anything else, what prompted the change? Well, the second part's easy to answer. Prompting the change was just they wanted to kind of get a little bit more creative and also be a lot more tied into the Greenville community. They kind of felt like Road Warriors didn't have any direct ties to Greenville, South Carolina. And I know a lot of people have argued that the auto industry, you know, has, you know, Michelin and all those other businesses there, which was the tie for Road Warriors. But um, they felt like Swamp Rabbits was just so much more direct as far as a tie to Greenville and in the community there. So, um, you know, that that was the reason for the change. And my input i guess uh, what i had to do with it wasn't much it was mostly just in meetings kind of trying to think of different ways to tweak the logo (laughs) but uh, i i didn't have the initial idea um we all kind of got gathered into a conference room in may of i guess it was 2015 2014 maybe starting to lose track um but we all got gathered into a conference room and they unveiled kind of the name and the the initial logo design and we all kind of laughed and looked at each other and said no way could this actually be real this is this has to be april the first like this has to be an april fool's joke and lo and behold it wasn't and we kind of tweaked the logo from there and uh i mean i that's about all the involvement i had and then obviously putting out the release and putting out the the web story and getting with the media to really make the announcement is where i had most of my uh my hands-on experience with that change do you remember what the initial logo looked like and how different it may look from the one today? Yeah, it was pretty similar. You know, we didn't make a, a whole lot of changes. Um, Brand Joyce uh, out of California was the company that made the logo, and they, they did an extremely 
awesome job like right from the get-go making it super unique and creative and i think the carrot was a little bit more narrow and, and shorter but uh you know that's one of my favorite parts of that logo is just the carrot that turns into a hockey stick and i think we tweaked that a little bit so you could really tell that it was a hockey stick on one side and a carrot on the back half but uh as far as the rabbit look in it goes that was that was always the same and really wasn't touched from the get-go how stressful was the day of because I know in crisis situations, we both have had quite a few here lately. Um, now, this wasn't crisis, but this was a really important announcement. Can you remember the day of? Yeah, the, the day of was interesting. You know, I I honestly didn't sleep much that night. And it was mainly because I didn't know how it was going to go over to the community. I mean, it, it all took us in the office when we first heard about the change and everything. It took us, you know, solid two weeks three weeks to really have everyone buy into it and kind of have it roll off your tongue and be you know something that you were okay with um you know right away it was just something that you're like holy cow like are we really are we really doing this and so you know after that initial shock wore off in the office and everybody knew about it internally it was all right but still everybody outside of the office had no idea and so it was kind of a question of how is this going to be received I wasn't nervous at all as, as far as the process of getting the news out there. That that part was easy. It was just all the PR side of how do you make people that don't buy in right away okay with it? And how do you get them to see that this is awesome and this is going to be awesome? And uh, for years and years to come, this is going to be a logo that not only connects people to Greenville, but it, it makes everything so unique and uh, it really gets people outside of the community in, interested in this team and, and buying merchandise and all of that stuff. So the stress was just kind of how to spin that in a positive way in a, in a PR sense. And I think, you know, we got really fortunate with that, that people, yes, there was the initial laughter and, you know, CBS sports and Yahoo and ESPN, they all put out the stories about how, you know, what's this team thinking? Um, this is all just, you know, PR stunts. And other than that initial first shock and that initial, maybe first 24 hour period, everybody within the Greenville community started to buy in pretty quickly. And I think, you know, we had fans right away that you would think, you know, just would not be okay with it because they were such diehards and they had followed the teams ever since the growl days. And they, you know, went through that change, but that was, you know, over a course of several years. And now all of a sudden from one season to the next, we're having this complete overhaul. And, and those are the fans that we thought, okay, they're not going to be okay with this. They're the more traditionalists and all that. But uh, that really wasn't the case. You know, people seem to, latch on to it pretty quickly and uh, they were proud to wear that shirt and the jersey and they were proud to say I'm a sound or I'm a Swamp Rabbits fan and uh, you know that that made it all completely worth it and uh, it only built from there and our merchandise sales took off and uh, you know people started coming to games because they said we have to check this team out this is a team that's doing some some new creative things that we ha really haven't seen before within minor league hockey and, and I know baseball is its own thing where you have you know, teams with crazy names out there, but we really hadn't seen that much in hockey. And I think Greenville was one of the first teams to uh, kind of go through that change. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about the name. And the one thing I actually just caught you on uh, was you were about to say Sound Tigers. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, like, when you switch teams, uh, it, you have to answer the phone a different way. Uh, so I remember the cadence of which I said, Blowfish Baseball, this is Jordan, or Fighting Saints Hockey, this is Jordan, and now it's Swamp Rabbits Hockey, this is Jordan. Uh, and then you had to switch team names within the same team. I can't imagine it was a quick turnaround for everyone in the office to stop saying Road Warriors hockey, this is blank. Yeah, um, 
again, we knew about it really early on that summer. Like this was right at the start of May after the season had just ended that we internally had talked about this. And by the time we made the announcement in August, I think it was okay for a lot of you know folks internally and the, the group sales staff and the sponsorship staff and all of that to say it on the phone because they had already internally said it time after time mm. after time. And I think that actually helped a lot. Like when I, when I went on the air then in October, that next season, like to me, it was natural because I had said it so many times and especially going through the actual announcement of it and speaking in the media about it, you say it over and over and over and it kind of gets drilled into your head. Uh, but, you know, if I were to come down there and join you for a game next season and try to, you know, say it like I, I would always say sound tigers, I would just it would have to take a little bit to get that to click back in right. my head. But I think just having that long summer of knowing about it really helped. And so the the transition really wasn't as bad on the phones as you may think. Part of our job is to continue to push the edge of creative boundaries. And the one thing that I, I know, you know, is coming uh, was the time that you took a trip into the tub. <laughs> um, now, I have a lot of questions. First and foremost, how in the world did that come about? It's bath Fitters Bath Time with the Rabbits today, joined by head coach Brian Kratz. Brian, on a scale of 1 to 10, how relaxed are you right now? Probably right around a 9.5. Um, you know, it's a very comforting, comforting experience anytime I get to bathe with you. Mm -hmm. I feel the same way. Is this uh, something you knew you signed up for when you were named the head coach? Without question. You know, I, I mean, I was the assistant coach last year. I felt we grew pretty, pretty close as a, mm. as a, as a working uh, couple, if you were. And um, so, yeah, I'm very excited that uh, we finally can can share the gold tub together. If you weren't a coach, what would you be doing right now? Yeah. So I, uh, as you well know, when you're when you're in the ECHL, you got a lot on your plate, and you know, it really. I mean, most jobs, especially in sports jobs, you know, you have more than one thing that you're dealing with or more than one hat. And so when I was in, in Greenville, um, you know, I was not only in charge of broadcasting, but media relations and community and a whole bunch of stuff, just as you are, but also the sales side of it. And one of the kind of avenues that they wanted me to grasp onto and take uh, as my own was the sponsorship side. And they wanted me to come up with these unique ideas to, uh, you know, really tie into the community more and, uh, you know, have some, some more partners on our side. And so um, went to a community appearance. I forget even where it was, but Bath Fitter was represented there. And uh, so I went up and I talked to them a little bit. And there was a couple of people that were hockey fans that were working for Bath Fitter. And they said, we'd love to come to some games. We'd love to build a relationship with you guys. And I said, well, that's fantastic. I said, you know, we can work out some kind of deal that has season tickets. Uh, we also have some sort of maybe promo video series, whatever it is kind of just spun that idea a little bit further and ultimately the, the end product is what you're referring to uh, i think we called it bath time with the rabbits yes and it uh i still i still get people that'll send me youtube links out of the blue just randomly all the time with just one of those segments but uh, for those that don't know what i'm talking about they were basically just like 60 second of videos not very long and it was me in a full suit and tie sitting in a bathtub with a player and this bathtub's not very big. There's this probably only room for one, one and a half people on average, but uh, we fit two people in there somehow. And it was full of, you know, hot bath water. We put bubbles in there. We had some rubber duckies. I mean, this was a legitimate bath and I'm sitting in a full suit and tie and we had a player get in on the other side, just wearing their, you know, workout shorts or, or whatever. And just did a, a 60 second kind of, quick hits, rapid fire interview back and forth. And uh, I don't know that I want to say I encourage you to check those out because I think they're still on YouTube. But, oh, they uh, are. 
<laughs> yeah, if, uh, if any fans want to, I guess uh, there's uh, there's plenty out there for them to look at. So the question is, did, were those your suits? Are they ruined? Like, did, did it? Uh, well, I knew they were going to be ruined. I actually went to Goodwill and I bought. I think they were like seven dollars. Okay, so I bought two of them, two suits. Um, I, I think I also found a tie there as well. And I mean, I'm not wearing any dress pants in there. I'm wearing shorts, but uh, I knew the suits were going to be ruined. I said, you know what, if I can find something at Goodwill that looks pretty good and ends up getting ruined by the end of this series, that's fine. And so, uh, yeah, it was a real suit and tie and everything. It was just something that I, I didn't mind if it uh, took on a little bit too much bath soap. Now I don't feel as bad knowing that you didn't have to incur, you know, men's warehouse style uh, <laughs> expenses for the sake of uh, clicks. Now I don't feel that so would, bad. That would have been part of the sponsorship deal, no doubt. <laughs> I have no doubt about that one. Um, so let's let's take over the time in Greenville itself. What do you remember most or most fondly? That's a great question. Um because there were, I, I genuinely enjoyed every single day that I, you know, worked for the the Swamp Rabbits or prior to that the Road Warriors and and being in Greenville. I guess it's kind of an answer you hear all the time, but I think the people, like I, I legitimately, genuinely, you know, miss the people in that area. And everybody was just so nice. And for a non-traditional hockey market, like the passion that those fans brought out and the conversations I had before games with you know, season ticket holders that would just come up and they would want to chat a little bit before the game and not only about hockey and the team, but just about life. And, you know, how are you doing? I know you moved to Greenville um, by yourself. You know, I, I wasn't married at the time and um, just, you know, people genuinely cared about you. And so that, that certainly is something that I miss and I still reminisce about and think about every day. And I still keep in touch with quite a, a bit of the fan base and the, the staff that I worked with over the years there. So, um, I think that's number one. Probably number two is the annual trips to Vegas for the league awards. Those are a lot of fun too. That's a different story. Yeah, I, I got the chance to be on that last year, so I know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> certainly, the thing that that always pops out is, as you said, the people. I imagine the other thing is the weather. I know, uh, mm-hmm. being a northeasterner myself, you know, the, the snow and all the cold and all of that, um, you just gotta deal with. Uh, for lack of better words, but I'm sure you get the chance to come to the Midwest or down south anyway um, when it comes to your travel schedule in the American Hockey League, though I imagine it's mostly northeast, knowing the division you're in. Yeah, we, we come down to Charlotte. Uh, it had been twice a year. This past season was only once a year, uh, so that's the closest we get, uh, but that's only one trip for a couple of days. Mainly we play in you know Massachusetts, New York, um Rhode Island and, you know, all of these states and all these different cities that are up here in the Northeast. Like, like you mentioned, the weather was something that was also quite a treat. You know, the, the city of Greenville is such a diamond in the rough and it's such a, a hidden gem that if you're living there, you don't really think about, but, you know, I had never been to Greenville prior to moving there and working for the Swamp Rabbits. And I mean, that was just such a unique city in and of itself, but then just the weather tied into that too, where, you know, for the, the most part, it was warm every day, you know, certainly in the summers, it was, uh, it was always nice. You'd go to the, the drive games there in Greenville and just kind of hang out in the sun and watch baseball. There's just so many unique elements and just really big positives. And that's not even bringing up like the food part of it and the culinary aspect, but uh, the weather and everything else tied in is kind of what makes Greenville so great. 
trust me, I went cookout on board yesterday, and I will push hard for them. If you're listening, cookout, I'm coming for you this summer. Um, though the one thing that, that could be another one that I missed, by the way, like just aside from the people and and all of that, I think like the food and the restaurants there and just the the whole culinary aspect of the town is something that I miss. Like smoke on the water is is a place that I. I'm still trying to get back to if I'm going to Greenville, just if I'm going for one reason, it might be to go to smoke on the water. Cause I miss that place a lot. Saucy Southern Tavern located Absolutely. on Augusta. Um, so we were through pretty much some, some of the craziest times in our lives here the last couple of weeks. The difference between you and me is that our season is done and yours technically isn't yet. Uh, you're in a state of limbo along with the national hockey league right now and patiently waiting to see if and when you come back. Uh, what was your reaction to all of this going down? Yeah, it, uh, it's, it's very unfortunate. Uh, obviously, this is not a, a time that is very exciting for anyone, whether you're in sports or not. But, um, you know, we, we had a game on March the 11th at home against Toronto, and that was the night that the NBA um, – you know, went out with its, its release that they were suspending the season and a uh, player was tested positive. And you know, the next day, the NHL uh, went out with that announcement. And I think everybody in the American hockey league knew that we were going to take the NHL's lead and the NHL more than likely was going to go exactly the same route. The NBA would, um, other than that, I mean, it's, it's not a whole lot different than anybody else that's working in sports right now. We're just kind of waiting and, and seeing, and, you know, for you guys, your, your season has been canceled, but you know, there's not a whole lot of optimism right now in, uh, in the American hockey league. And I don't think there is any in the NBA or NHL or any of the other leagues either. It's, it's just, uh, it's not resolving itself the way that we thought maybe it would, as far as a, uh, kind of a, a quick, resolution to all of this where we're just kind of as everybody is waiting day by day to see if anything gets better and you know at this point uh the nhl is a lot more money than the ahl does so um it's it's going to be a lot tougher to start back up for the ahl even if we want to take the nhl's lead on it but um you know it's it's hard to see any optimism right now just waiting to get over this kind of hump and uh flattening out the curve if you will and uh hopefully we'll get through this quicker than than normal but and kind of see the updates that everything's kind of getting pushed back further and further. And now talking about late June, early July. So I'm just kind of wait and see. It's a, it was blindsiding. We had a game on that Thursday. We were the only game in the league. We were playing Florida. Florida was in town. They were ready to go. We were ready to go. In fact, I recall at about three or four o'clock that afternoon, we said, we're on. And we had to continue telling people we're on, we're on, we're on. And all of a sudden you get the phone call. No, you're not. Uh, so you had to scramble to put something together, uh, and it was essentially that day that the league said that we're suspending. And then just a couple days later, I was actually at a friend's place, and I got an email that said, oh, by the way, in an hour, we're going with the season's canceled, so get ready. Uh, yeah. there, there are no other adrenaline-type situations you can be in than that one, where you have an hour to make one of the biggest releases you've ever made in your entire life about something so you know something so with so much impact with that no one is going to take well i mean let's yeah. be honest no one's going to take oh by the way everything we fought for for the last 60 some odd games close to 70 games is completely null and void uh especially yeah. with the swamp rabbits in a playoff position uh, i mean 
I can't imagine it was much better on your end either. I imagine it was just as swift. Yeah, I mean, ours ours was very quick. We uh, again, the whole stance of the AHL was taking the NHL's lead. Um, so we were kind of sitting back waiting to see what the NHL would announce. And that kind of gave us an idea of what we were kind of looking at. So, um, these are certainly unprecedented times on more than one level. And of course, you know, what all society is going through is one thing, but, uh, you know, what we're looking at here is, you know, we, we just don't know what the future holds as far as, you know, are we going to start back up? Is this season over, you know, should I start looking to next year, um, there's there's not much you can do right now other than kind of try to engage fans content wise on social media and on the web and all of that because uh other than that there's just kind of a, a waiting game you know, we can't look ahead to next year yet we might still be playing this year so you know you never know and i certainly think this will go down as something that i'll remember for the rest of my life uh no matter how it t- turns out it's been fascinating no doubt about that and we Certainly do wish, no matter where you are, you remember to, to stay healthy and stay safe, stay at home if you can. Uh, and for those that are the first responders out there, doctors, nurses, even grocery store workers, truckers, all of you are doing us a great service, just the, the normal lay people like ourselves, uh, and appreciate everything uh, that you're doing. Let's uh, transition into something a little happier uh, which is your journey in the American Hockey League. Been there a couple seasons here now. Uh, what's different? about life in the American Hockey League than the ECHL? Um, you know, I get asked that a lot, and I can't really think of too many big differences. Um, more games, for sure, but uh, it's not any crazy amount. Um, the, the season goes longer, but again, it's not too much longer. As far as my job goes, you're still wearing multiple hats. You're still doing more than just broadcasting, so that part's the same, um, you know, I guess just the, the travel's a lot different where we only have maybe three trips that are above six, seven hours, where in Greenville there was a lot of overnight trips. You'd get on the bus at 11 o'clock at night or at midnight and drive through the night and get to Orlando, Florida in the morning or get to Fort Myers in the morning. Whereas here it's a lot more, you know, three-hour trips, four-hour trips. You know, for us in Bridgeport, we have a, a unique location where we're right in the middle of – all the Pennsylvania teams in Rhode Island on the other side and uh, Hartford is pretty close. Um, I think what the closest trip in Greenville is, is what either Atlanta or, or Charleston. Probably yeah, Atlanta, Atlanta would be an hour, hour and a half, hour 40, sometimes two, depending on traffic. Yeah. And so like for us, Hartford is only an hour up the road and then Springfield's an extra 20 minutes past that. So I think, uh, a little bit less time on a bus, but you're still on the bus for quite a while. So it's not that, that dramatic. Um, I, I think, you know, a lot of people think that it's a huge jump and it's a whole lot different, but uh, you know, you're still doing a lot of the same things and you're still building those relationships with the the fans that is unique to the minor leagues. And you're still a whole lot more you know intimate with them and with the people you work with and all of that uh, you're around them so much. So uh, that part's a lot of the same. I, I really enjoyed my time at the ECHL, and so far the, the AHL has been a whole lot of fun as well. One of the cool things about being in broadcasting, and I know this is just going to be broadcaster to broadcaster, and maybe some of those out there listening don't care, but uh, it's something that I like the most about this is almost growing up with the people around you where you have broadcast colleagues that you've been with since the beginning. I mean, for myself, there's some in the USHL that have – uh, come up here in the ECHL. There's some that I had in my time in the USHL that are up there with you. 
Uh, I think of Zach Fish and Hershey or Rob Lopolis uh, over there in Binghamton or even Brian Tosti in Texas. You know, obviously, I took over for him here. Uh, but you're almost growing up with them, and you can't survive without them. You know, They are a crucial part of your network. They're a crucial part of keeping you sane throughout all these uh, 14-hour game days and non-game days. Uh, can you touch on what those relationships have meant to you and if there's anyone in particular you quote-unquote grew up with, so to speak, in this business? Yeah, it, absolutely, and I'm glad you brought that up. You know, it's it, it's certainly a fraternity of people, you know, at the broadcast position where, like you said, you get to know these people at a young age and you progress and move uh, up the ladder with them. And it's a lot of fun to kind of share the successes. You know, you can be happy for them. They're happy for you. And you kind of share in that joy and you move up together. Um, you know, to me, you know, that's, it's kind of been my case with uh, Zach Fish, who's in Hershey, who was in South Carolina while I was in Greenville. And we saw each other 14 times a year in that rivalry. And now we still see each other six or more times a year because we're in the same division up here. So, um, it's a lot of fun to grow up with Zach. Uh, you know, I've known a lot of other guys from the ECHL that now I work with in the AHL. And you, you know, I talked about like Joe Roberts, who's in Utica and was with Kalamazoo prior to that. Um, Lucas Favalli, who's in Syracuse, was in the ECHL. And actually, uh, me and him go back to the SPHL, uh, where we first started out in hockey. So those relationships are a lot of fun. But outside of broadcasters, you know, you've also got kind of the, the players that, you grow up with and uh, you know, kind of touching on your last question about what's unique to the AHL versus what uh, was different about the ECHL in the AHL, you work with a lot more, um, I put this guys who are kind of bouncing back and forth between the NHL and the AHL and Greenville. I think there was only a handful of guys who all made it all the way up to the NHL that I had worked with, but day in and day out in the AHL, you're working with guys who maybe just the night before played in the National Hockey League and then they came back. And I think one of the most kind of inspiring things at this level, no matter what job you have, is just working with guys day in and day out who haven't cracked the NHL yet, but then they do. They get their opportunity. They get that first phone call. And just to see the the pure joy and excitement on their face when they get that call. And, I mean, you know, to me, there, we have a, a kid on our team right now, Kiefer Bellows, who – uh, it was a first-round draft pick by the Islanders, and everybody thought he was going to go up and he was going to crack the Islanders roster right away. And it took him a little bit longer than maybe maybe he even thought uh, that was going to be the case. And for him, when he got that first phone call earlier this year and uh, made his NHL debut, I mean, this was a kid that I had worked with almost every single day over the last year and a half to two years. And to see him finally get that shot and go up, you know, it's kind of a – a proud parent moment when uh, <laughs> you see your kid, you know, get a good grade on a school assignment and they're over the moon. But uh, this was so much more and Kiefer uh, certainly deserved it. You know, it's all the things you see behind the scenes that the fans don't see about how hard they work and how motivated they are. And they always have a positive attitude, no matter what the situation. And it all pays off at that one moment when they get that phone call. And so that might be something that's a little bit different seeing that on a more frequent basis in the AHL than, uh, than what I was used to in the ECHL. Now I'm starting to feel old. Uh, I mean, I guess both of us kind of do. Uh, in 2016, I had the chance to be at the NHL draft in Buffalo, and I saw Kiefer get drafted. In fact, I believe it was me that interviewed him uh, after his selection for the USHL, uh, and he had brought his uh, Sioux Falls Stampede head coach, Kerry Eads, uh, on his dime to be there with him because that's who he meant the most to 
uh, and won a Clark Cup with in his time in the USHL. Uh, but it's those players, those young studs like an Oliver Wallstrom, let's say, uh, that are also on the Sound Tigers that uh, are a huge part of things moving forward. I mean, I can't imagine uh, the hype, perhaps, and the ability to market around these these players that they get their chance to play and how great a game the American Hockey League game is. I don't think people understand just how little of a step it is between the two leagues. It is so yeah. fast. It's so good. I When I got the chance to see some Charlotte Checkers games, I was blown away at how much faster the game was. It, it was just incredible. Yeah, the the pace is right up there with what you know the guys in the NHL are dealing with. Uh, the the amount of turnovers might be the only thing that's a little bit different because the systems are all the same. You know, what we play in Bridgeport, the Islanders have the exact same systems. Um, you know, it just might be the crispiness of, of everything. And uh, the amount of turnovers is a little bit different in the AHL. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's, it's about the exact same product that you see when you're watching on TV or if you go to an NHL game, which, uh, which makes it a lot of fun. And for these kids, uh, you know, they, if they can play well in the AHL, then it gives them that much more confidence that when they can get to the NHL, they can be effective right away. Boy, it's it's just incredible. I mean, I had the chance to uh, interview Tage Thompson, uh, who was the son of your head coach, uh, and yeah. I had Tice Thompson during my time in Dubuque, uh, who is ripping it up currently at Providence College right down the road. So, uh, you know, all these Northeastern connections, all these uh, – USHL connections. I can't wait. I don't know if this hit you as much as it'll hit me. I can't wait to see the players that I covered during my time in juniors to finally make their their mark intently. I've seen a few. There have only been a couple players during my time in juniors that have been here. I can yeah. only imagine your, your time here in Greenville – uh, that those players have made their way up and have been those kinds of players. I don't know how if you feel the same way that I do about it. Yeah, I mean, I never went the junior route, so you you talk about growing up with some players. I mean, you uh, you certainly have a little bit more of that uh, than I do because you know the the kids who are in their what 16, 17 years of age, they're middle teens that uh, when they crack the NHL, uh, talk about making you feel old. That's going to make you feel really old. I yeah. haven't even gone through that. <laughs> I think of a player like Casey Middlestat who had just made his debut a couple of years ago. I mean, he was blowing things up for Green Bay. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, I got to see Brady Kachuk in his time in the National Team Development Program. He was a stud there, and now he's incredible for the Ottawa Senators. So, yeah, maybe. I, I know there's some that got to see Austin Matthews or a Jack Eichel or something like that. I haven't gotten to see that level of superstar, uh, but hopefully some point in the future. Any closing thoughts on this one, Alan? I, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, yeah, no, uh, thank you very much for having me. This has been a lot of fun to reminisce. I know we were talking before starting this and uh, mentioned that I really, and I think I mentioned it in the, the podcast as well, that I really enjoyed every second of the time that I spent in Greenville. Um, I guess I'll leave you with this, uh, a story from the first game after we made that change from okay. the road warriors to the swamp rabbits. I don't know if you've ever heard this story. So you I, can stop me if you have. No, I don't, I don't think there's any, uh, the only real story I know is uh, during Brian's time where the uh, one player went on a, a dance dance thing when uh, the Zamboni broke. <laughs> I hadn't even heard that one. No, uh, this actually might beat that though. So, and you can, I know you're close with Zach fish. who's over in Hershey. You yep. can ask him about it. Cause he was the opposing broadcaster in that one. But 
our very first home game after that name change. And so it was our home opener uh, in the first home game with the Swamp Rabbits. And we were playing the South Carolina Stingrays. And uh, right before the game, you know, we didn't we went through all these meetings over the summer and these pregame meetings before opening night. And this never got brought up once. But at some point before the game, uh, a member of our staff had an intern go to the local uh, Publix there and buy every single bag of carrots they had. They want to do something unique and special because the first ever home game for the Swamp Rabbits. So um, and I don't remember the, the intern's name, but he went to Publix and uh, I think our president or owner or somebody gave him a credit card and said, here, you pay for it with this, but buy every single bag of carrots they have, literally every one. And so I think <laughs> I think I see like where this is going. Five hundred and five hundred and fifty, six hundred dollars or something on carrots. And he had a whole shopping cart uh, just full of carrots. So he comes back and this is probably about two hours. And this is this is a true story. I wish I was making this up, but uh, some stories you can't make up. So this is probably about two hours before puck drops, maybe 5 p.m. He comes back with all these carrots and they start handing them out to the sales staff and to all of the, the game night staff and the part time stuff. Everybody that was kind of working the doors at the well there. And uh, basically the instructions were anybody who comes in, you know, to the game, just hand them either a handful of carrots or a bag of carrots. And we want everybody in the building to have carrots. And what we're going to do is we're going to announce at the very end of the game, when the final horn blows, we're going to announce that everybody throws their carrots on at the ice to celebrate the first ever game for the Swamp Rabbits. And it all sounds, you know, fun. It sounds like a very interesting, creative, unique uh, minor league thing to do. But a lot of things like that don't go as planned, especially when you don't have meetings ahead of time about how it's going to go. And again, this never got brought up it, uh, at all. So, you know, me calling the game up there in the booth, I had no idea that this was even going on. I heard about this way after the fact. So gets close to the game. You know, thankfully, nobody threw their carrots onto the ice through the first or second period. We get into the third period. It's a, a 2-2 game, I think, and we're getting down to the wire. And sometime towards the end of the game, South Carolina scores, and they take a 3-2 lead, but it was kind of a controversial call. It was one of those that we weren't sure whether it was a goal or not right away. And so fans, out of frustration and uh, everything else in the stands, they've got these carrots. Well, they start throwing them onto the ice as you you know, would throw in trash at a baseball game if you're unhappy with a call or whatever. So, you know, once a handful of fans start throwing them, everybody else sees that. They want to start throwing them. You know, by the time we've got 500, 600 people in the stands throwing carrots. And when you throw a real carrot, you know, when it when it hits the ice from distance, it doesn't just stay intact either. It breaks into 60 different pieces. So we've got all these carrots flying and they're breaking on the ice and they're shattering in different pieces. Meanwhile, this game's not over. There's still a handful of minutes left in the game. Well, now Zach Fish and I in the booth are looking at each other like what in the world's going on? Because, again, like when this is happening, we don't know what these are. We see these little orange pieces go flying through the air. But this has never been brought up in any meetings. Like I, I had no idea what these were. So after you have to ask Zach about this, but it might have been a 15, 20, maybe even like a 25 minute delay. It was a lengthy delay while they go out and clean up all these little particles of carrots on the ice. We finally get back going. The game ends. And a rink wide feed hops off the wall and settles for Colt to Cameron. In front and they score and it's Ryan Rashid reaching out, sliding a Superman moves, able to poke it in. The Swamp Rabbits have their second power play goal, 5-3. In regulation, the fans in attendance have started throwing carrots onto the ice. Not a hat trick by any means. This could take some time to clean up. 
and then you know everybody else throws their carrots onto the ice that was the whole plan to begin with but uh it certainly didn't go down like that and so for a while there zach and i are trying to figure out not only how to cover 20 25 minutes worth of dead time but why are we even in a delay like what is on the ice right now and uh lo and behold they were actually real carrots that uh an intern went out and purchased before the game and they handed them out to all the fans. So that was one of the most unique stories. That'll certainly be one that I remember the rest of my life too. The first ever Swamp Rabbits game that we had a close to a half hour delay on because uh, they had a carrot delay on the ice. Two, two thoughts from that. One probably should have been after the first goal, kind of teddy bear toss style. Uh, right. <laughs> in, in retrospect, secondly, that's going in the book. Uh, yeah, what's well, going in the book 100%. I think the reason they didn't want to do the first goal is because you know, these carrots break apart. Like, this was a lengthy delay. It was certainly longer than any teddy bear toss that we ever had as far as cleaning those up. So I think the the point of it was to do it at the end of the game so it didn't matter how long it took to clean them up. Fair but, enough. But uh, that, uh, that certainly wasn't how it, it worked out. And uh, so Zach and I still, when we play Hershey, we always bring that one up and wonder what kind of interesting delay we're going to have in that <laughs> night's game. Well, I don't know if you, I don't know if the the Sound Tigers were uh, the the recipient of the Hershey teddy bear toss ever, but that's another half hour <laughs> unto itself. But yeah, uh, thankfully, no. That's that's one of the first things I look for every summer when the promo schedules come out. Is I go to Hershey's and I look at the teddy bear toss and I wonder what you know poor soul is going to be <laughs> having to fill forty five minutes of time because they have forty five thousand teddy bears on the ice. Goodness. Well, Alan, it's, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, uh, getting a sense of uh, what Greenville was like a couple of years ago and uh, what life is like in the American Hockey League at the same time and uh, revisiting Carrot Mageddon. I appreciate that. I'm <laughs> going to have to ask Mr. Jimmy Kalinowski about that one. I'm going to have to yeah, oh, certainly yeah. ask him uh, for further details on that one and how, how that one went. So, Alan, thank <laughs> you for going down the rabbit hole with me, and uh, hopefully we'll chat soon. Sounds good, Jordan. Thanks a lot. Alan Fuhring, everyone. Uh, this is Jordan Kuhn signing off here for the podcast here. Hope everyone enjoyed it. Again, stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next week. Till then.